Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins. For your perfect workspace, living space or hideaway, timberliving.ie. Now, of course, a lot of people would say that the answer to a lot of the questions we were uh, discussing in the first hour there could be AI or artificial intelligence. It's the hot new trend in tech right now. And I mean, some of the claims people make for where this could go are extraordinary. Could robots be minding our children? Could they be caring for the elderly? Or indeed, could they be our friends or our lovers? And then when you think about that, you think, what are the implications of all that for us as humans and for our humanity and everything? Novelist Afrik Campbell, good afternoon. Hi, Brendan. And Afrik, um, you think we should be talking about all this and I think you're trying to start that conversation, aren't you? Yes, via the route of um, fiction. I mean, I think it's a huge issue and, and you know, one of the overarching uh, important debates that should be had in the in in the public sphere. Um, you so, know, I mean, there's a huge issue of complexity there, so it, it's actually quite difficult to talk about the whole of AI, robotics, etc. But it is yeah. conversations that we need to have. We need to engage. Yeah. So I, we we'll tease out some of it um, as you you've written a, a novel, but there's a series of of essays as well by academics and thinkers embedded with the novel and. A lot mm-hmm. of the issues teased out there. Come here, before we get to that, we spoke before, I remember, um, you had given up investment banking to become a writer at the time. Yes, we did. We had a little TV event, as I recall. And yeah. I was back in 2013, and my last novel on the floor. Yeah, yeah. And we spoke. Yeah, we so, did. So you, you, just to give people a bit of your background, you uh, had worked in Morgan Stanley on, on the trading floor years. That's right. Yeah, for about 14 years. Um, and uh, then I moved into the art sector. So quite a career leap. Yeah, yeah. I remember at the time you were a rare kind of female in that uh, media, weren't you? Like we'll be talking about the, the tech bros in a while, but I suppose it was it, it was quite a broish kind of uh, environment back then, wasn't it? Yes, very different now. I mean, you didn't have the same regulations about sort of, uh, you know, how people behave. Um, but, you know, but I have to say that I really enjoyed my experience, but it's a tough and challenging environment, as I guess everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. So you got into the more um, the more genteel confines of, of writing. So look, The Lovemakers uh, is your current book. And as I say, a mm-hmm. novel and a load of essays. Just can you explain to people what, what it is? I will, because it's unusual. You don't, you don't usually get a book that combines um, a novel with essays. And the reason for this goes back to, to your opening, public engagement. If you want to tell a story and if you want to unpick complexity in something like AI, which I had done before in, in the financial area, um, you need to tell a story to engage an audience. Um, people can watch science fiction movies, but you know the, the real issue here is um, how we engage in real terms with uh, with um, the debates that are important. So I wrote a novel and my interest was in our fascination, our technological seduction. Uh, so the point was when I'd finished the novel, I felt it just wasn't going to be enough. The, the, the real power, if you want to engage an audience, is you need to actually bring in the scientists, the scholars and the engineers who lead the way in AI and robotics research to to put out readable material that people can access because so often this stuff is it's in uh, you know research papers um uh, so it was a public engagement mission 
And I suppose before we get to the kind of uh, what the future of it might be, I suppose tech is already impacting hugely on our relationships and our humanity, isn't it? Well, yes. I mean, I suppose, you know, I'm coming from a different angle. I'm, I'm interested in what technology reveals about ourselves, about our behavior. You know, as a, as a writer, mm. you're an observer. You're looking at what's happening in the real world. And it's our, our sort of enchantment with, with um, uh, intelligent machines that is important because that's going to shape how, um, how we deal with these issues. Yeah, and like, but I suppose, like, already we all go around with a phone grafted onto our hands or in our pocket, and it has become almost part of who we are, hasn't it? Yeah, and I, th- I think that's key. I mean, our capacity as humans for attachment is, is absolutely fascinating. We bond really easily with machines that are useful or empowering, and, and those, you know, smart devices are embedded in our lives. Uh, you and I can remember when there were no mobiles, and now we have a panic attack if we drop one down behind a couch. Yeah, you told a story, you wrote a piece there during the week and you told a story, and it's a very simple story, about a blind date and a phone. Yes, and I mean, that was actually the moment when I decided to figure, at least when I figured out how I would write this novel. So 2011 is a long time ago, um, and the story of a date and a friend um, who was really interested in this guy, but because he left his phone on the table... She felt that she wasn't getting his full attention. And, you know, if you're in a desire or seduction situation, if you feel you're not getting someone's attention, the moment is lost. And that really, that small moment, that moment glimpsed in passing, was really important in terms of that's where the story started. What happens when a device enters into a relationship? And that's where we are. And that's, you know, if we're talking about whether it's robot nannies or we're talking about intimate relationships, uh, the human-machine relationship starts there. And I don't think that we spend enough time thinking about what that means about the future of human relationships. Yeah. And where, so where does, does the human machine relationship intensify, do you think, as as we get to the next stage of things with stuff like machine learning and AI and that? Well, you know, that's a big question. I mean, I, I, I'm the writer. If I look at, for example, some of the essay, the essay writers who contributed to the book, um, there is interesting um, uh, speculation about the probability that children might develop bonding issues with parents and friends. I mean, robots are, are predictable. Um, they don't lose their temper and they don't forget or they, they don't ignore. So some children might end up preferring those machine relationships. That doesn't have to be a bad thing. You know, on the, on the other hand, um, interaction with robots could could be revealing the point is we're not having these open conversations we are focusing focused all the time on our tech consumption what engages us what entertains us um and that really is is i think a, it's a fault line in terms of the discourse yeah it's it's interesting we'll come we'll come on to that discourse in a minute it's interesting what you say there about the the kids and robots. The, w- one of the characters I- in your book, her basic kind of thing is that this art- artificial intelligence offers, I think she calls it love without the pain, that they, uh, basically a robot is more consistent, kinder than real people have ever been to her. Mm-hmm. But then you kind of think, but is that just narcissism or kind of self-pleasuring on, on her behalf? That like human beings are challenging and tricky and it's in our relationship with, with, with them that we reveal our humanity. Whereas if you just have a robot who's going to be nice to you, is that a real relationship? 
Well, I mean, this is the core, isn't it? It's the issue of illusion or deception or, you know, retreat into fantasy and dream. So the character girl in my novel, Skeleton Girl, has had a, a tough time and she finds solace in a machine relationship. Um, and that solves, in a sense, it's, it's a, re- a retreating position, a, a, a defense against reality, if you like. But, you know, there is really interesting um, research around the idea of, of companion robots that, that exist and the kind of relationships that we develop with them that can be really productive. People navigate their relationships in different ways. And I think there can be sometimes a you know, very censorious attitude towards our use of robots. Yeah. The, the use of robots in elder care, the use of robots is just sort of places to go and confine. These things are important, but you know, at the end of the day, we're talking to a machine. So there is no reciprocity. You know, that, that is incredibly important. And when you think about children interacting with um, robots that have advanced capabilities, um, this idea that you know, they will fall in love. You know, the machine does not feel, the machine doesn't care, but it can provide a really useful service. Yeah. So do you think in the future that people will form intimate relationships with robots? I think we already have. Yeah. You know, if we're really honest about ourselves, you know, how much, one quick metric would be, you know, 10 years ago, how much time did we spend talking to people we live with or the people that we know? Um, and how much do we, time do we spend uh, doom scrolling on our phones? Or maybe not even doom scrolling, but you understand what I mean, engaging in social media or, you know, talking to strangers online. It's a shift in behavior. Yeah. We see that all around us. We see it with, you know, the families sitting at the, in, in the restaurants, um, just all on their phones. Can you, we, have, we have developed different etiquettes. And so, again, it comes back to the question of what do we really, really want? I think that's the interesting question. How interested are we in transferring our attention to other people because these devices create amazing spaces? I suppose then, and the, the, the question underlying all that is that the people who make these technologies, they will just keep making it more and more sophisticated, progress for progress's sake. They will make it because they can. But I suppose they're agnostic enough about it, aren't they? They're not thinking what are the implications for this for humanity or human beings or anything, are they? Well, I think that um, ethical awareness has been much more foregrounded in the last few years than it previously was, so there's more education. I mean, I work at science-based universities, so you can see that very clearly. And I think we have to acknowledge, you know, that there's so often this utopic versus dystopic scenario yeah. around technology, and I just don't think that that's productive because the challenge is really how we use tech. And for the moment, we're still in charge. You know, how do we design, envision, manufacture, regulate? Those are the issues. If we don't have a vision of the kind of um, world that we want, and if we don't engage with uh, the issue, um, we're kind of we're screwed. I mean, it's like the poet said: "In dreams begin responsibility." And those are the kind of you know, there are real concerns there, uh, but it's hard to it's hard to access them if you're you know if, if you're someone who's just looking to find out what's going on. So people will tend towards maybe movies, science fiction movies, uh, which are often you know very useful, but it's very important to know what's actually happening and what technologies actually can do. I'm interested that you say that for the moment we're in charge. So do you worry about a a scenario where we lose control of the machines? 
I mean, the control problem is is a big conversation within AI. But look, I'm a writer, Brendan. Let's remember that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm a fiction writer. But in all the, you know, I spent a long time on this project. Um, and yes, it's easy to to fall into a dark abyss. People talk. There's lots of discussion about super intelligent artificial artificial general intelligence. But for the moment, I think like the futurist in that in 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 the book who contributed, you know, we need to take a more activist approach. We need to become you know agents of change. Uh, there is a sense that um, maybe because of AI fatigue or because of complexity that people don't want to have those conversations, and they go into very delicate spaces because it's things like our relationships between parents and children or intimate relationships. Yeah, you explore um, a really interesting uh, kind of uh, scenario in the book of the robot nannies. So in the AI future, the harried mother can have an iMom. But the iMom is kind of a, is a version of real mom. Just ex- explain it a little bit. What I wanted to do, and because this book very much focuses on work and, and women at work in, the, in, in technology, is that there's an ambivalence with this character, Scarlett, who, who's old school, ambivalent about the issues related to her tech work. So in, in this world, anybody who can afford it, who's got money, will buy an iMom because uh, the, the educational advantages are significant. And, and robot nannies, iMoms are customized to look and sound like the mother. But Scarlett, although she's a techie, doesn't like working from home. She travels back and forth to the lab because she prefers working face to face. And her little boy hates her being away and her husband wants her to get an iMom. So this social pressure builds. Um, she still believes in human to human care. She doesn't want her son to be looked after by an eye mom. Um, she thinks that that's important. And it's that, that element of you know, how we navigate our human-to-human um, time give-up, if you like, and attention, and how much we delegate it to a machine. And I think that we're not really very honest about, uh, about how we manage those situations because tech is frankly fascinating and addictive and wonderful. Yeah. And of course, a lot of people will say, well, uh, do children have an iMom these days and it's called the, the iPad or the tablet or the screen or whatever. Um, yeah. the, you, you mentioned earlier about that we need to think about how we want to use it. And I suppose what a lot of people are going to say is, well, we've seen how we use technology and where it tends to thrive is sex, porn and that kind of thing. And and in the book as well, they, uh, the robots are... are very much a kind of a, an extension possibly of uh, of porn and in a way that has big questions for our humanity as well of is that okay or not or isn't it there are lots of debates within the community around that and there's a whole issue about gender and you know one of the essays deals with the dehumanizing effect the potential dehumanizing effect of technology and in the in the novel that was really important to me to look at how um, how these relationships of, of abuse could develop by introducing a robot into the into the family home um, or into a relationship. Um, but, you know, it is also important, again, to come back to what the realities are. I mean, there's a wonderful uh, essay from Kate Devlin, who's also from Northern Ireland, who wrote a book, Science, Sex and Robots. And she makes the point in, the, in her essay, there are no sex bots, despite the media hype. And the media loves um, the media loves these stories. There are human-like dolls with machine capabilities, of, you know, movement, speech, and some limited AI, and in, in chat functions. They're expensive. They're clunky engineering. Um, I think that the whole issue of, of the 
um, the hyper-sexualized, you know, sandbox that we see online, you know, switch on to, to Google and you'll see lots of, of um, pretty hideous pictures of this, that sort of sexualization, sexualized idea. Um, those are, again, issues that we need to deal with, just like they are on, on, on social media. So, d- <laughs> excuse me. So, yeah. does that go back to... We were talking about um, your time in the in the financial world before, which at the time was a very uh, kind of a fairly hyper uh, masculine kind of world. Is tech a bit like that now? And is that why if you get a bunch of geniuses who can figure out how to make AI, one of the things or, or, or figure out how to make robots, one of the things they'll do is let's create a hypersexualized woman because that's what you'd want to do if you can make a robot. Yeah, I think there's a huge, huge issue around that area. And uh, I mean, I, 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 my experience in finance and the environment, that narrow environment of group thinking um, and underrepresentation of women and minorities, um, makes a huge difference to any organisation and to, in the case of tech, the design of any product. There's been lots of lots of outings on that in the last in the last few years. And I think there is there is, is still a very significant underrepresentation of women in technology. So if we don't have broader representation, we get products that are not suitable. Um, so the future like is I being say, invented by by uh, possibly uh, a particular kind of guy, largely a, a particular type of demographic. Yeah. Absolutely. So if we don't have broader representation, we don't expand our visions and develop different perspectives, different perspectives. Now, within the AI community, and if you, you, know, you speak to academics and you read research that comes online, there is much greater awareness of that, even you know, five years ago when I was working on this book. So there is progress, but it's, you know, how do you get this message across? It, it is, like going back to what we, we said before, it's not helpful to just say, oh, it's all negative, oh, it's all the yeah. tech companies. We also have to look at the extraordinary advancements that AI and robotics can deliver. Yeah, elder care is, is a great example. Healthcare, and is that happening? Is, is, is elder care and healthcare happening? Yeah, there, there, there are lots of... Um, there are lots of advancements that have come out of there. Um, there is, yes, I mean, my answer is yes. Yeah. And there are some really, really interesting things happening there. But again, this is such a broad area. I, I think it's attitudes towards, I'm coming from the writer's position. Is how do you tell a story about complexity, which is what I was doing when I was writing the previous book. How do you tell a story about, you know, finance? Yeah. It's really difficult for people to go into those and explore and find out, you know, what's real. Um, and that's actually really important in, in our technological conversations. What's real and what's possible. So given your time spent uh, looking into all this and living with it and everything, are you optimistic about the AI future? Do you know, it's hard to answer that because I don't really know how people can make that decision. You know, we're, it's, it's, we're in a landscape of uncertainty. You know, theoretically, theoretically, something that could be a dramatic change and uh, there's a sudden advancement. Um, I think that if we don't engage as individuals, if we don't engage in the conversation, um, we really run the risk um, of, of not getting the kind of, not developing a vision of the kind of world that we want. I, you know, I think yeah. that, that issue of activism is incredibly important. 
Okay, so ultimately, because this we, could, because this can make our head hurts a bit, we could be sleepwalking into the kind of society we don't want at all. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think that's really key, and and it behoves us to have loud debate about these kind of issues. Yeah, and those debates need to be had by people who are not uh, tech workers. They need to be had by uh, uh, writers, thinkers, and and that kind of thing. And look, as fantastical as all that might seem to people, that whole conversation we just had there. This is we're going to hear more and more of these kinds of conversations, aren't we? Yes, and I think it's important that all disciplines, and that's the key, it's writers, artists, engineers, scientists. It's that cross-disciplinary dialogue that makes all the difference. Okay, Afri Campbell, thank you very much. That is fascinating. Uh, Brendan, I've just spent the week trying to contact revenue to do my health expenses, but government bodies have substituted people for computers. I've been unable to get a human voice to help me. That's scary. And that's now in January 2023. And uh, a grumpy old man who's seen too much texts in to say, as we see constantly in this country, artificial intelligence is doomed to fail given our innate human stupidity. We'll take a break. Email brendan at rte.ie.